it's very interesting when we do the studies of the psyche of a male running for office and a female running for office. You know, for so long, our society has conditioned us that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, maybe we should get another degree, maybe we're not quite ready. And, you know, all of these things have latent effects on us. What you do is you try to change that mindset. Women have ambitions, women have hopes, women have dreams, and you let them know that, hey, you know what? You're just as good. You're even smarter. You're even better. Mm -hmm. Hey, you can do this. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager, and I love to hear from my listeners. Please leave a comment on ZestfulAging.com. I really do read each and every comment, and I appreciate your feedback. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a guest on Zestful Aging. Her CD, Buffalo Motel, is out now, and you can find out more about Judy on her website, judybanker.com. Well, as usual, I've got my loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, so let's begin. Today is International Women's Day, and we have a very special episode for you. We'll be speaking with Sharon Nelson, who is one of the 21 leaders for the 21st century, according to Women's E-News. Sharon is well-known in political circles for her work in coaching women how to run for public office. Formerly, Sharon was the president of the New York chapter of the National Women's Political Caucus, an iconic women's advocacy organization started by Gloria Steinem, Congress women Absog, Chisholm, and others. And this year, Sharon is organizing the New York City celebration of the 19th Amendment, the women's right to vote, with prominent women leaders in New York, including Lieutenant Gover Governor Kathy Hochul, Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, and former State Senator Ruth Hassel Thompson. And the 19th Amendment is being celebrated in all 50 states. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Oh, thank you, Nicole. How are you today? I thank am. You for I'm me. so excited because you are such a powerhouse, and I am just thrilled to be able to talk to you on this very special day. We got a lot going on. It's International Women's Day, but also the 19th Amendment Centennial, it's, it's a really big deal. Well, I, I'm just as psyched as you. And as you know, being uh, women that are up and coming, elevating our voices, you know, this is, I don't know if you know it, but I've heard that this is the decade of the woman. So <laughs> in addition to it being the centennial, 
we got an additional responsibility of making it last another 10 years. I see. We've got it all going <laughs> on. And we chatted a little bit before we started about how busy you are. You are doing a lot of things. You're training women uh, to go into public office. And you are also doing this huge celebration of the women's right to vote in New York City. Tell me a little bit about what your days have been like. Well, it's interesting. Thank you for asking, Nicole. I mean, first of all, I want to give a shout out to all my peeps in Syracuse. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, as an alumnus of Syracuse University, mm -hmm. I'm always happy to sort of say get great, great hello and thank you. And, to the Cy um, Newhouse people? Yeah, let's go orange. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, what does a typical day look like? Well, very simply, I'm happy to wake up in the morning and I look at my trusty calendar and I mean, it's go, go, go nonstop. Uh, what we are doing is uh, we're first, we're training the women how to run for office. This is something that civically re-engaged women, that's what CREW stands for, has been doing since its inception in uh, 2017. We've been really, really fortunate to have had really good students uh, come and take our course. Um, you know, women that are ambitious, creative, thoughtful, strategic, all these things. And what they do is they learn, they get a toolbox of skills that will help them to provide the winning essentials that will perpetuate them into being viable in their campaign mm -hmm. and or successful in winning. I mean, you know, what happens for women, it's so much tougher for women to run for office than men. And on this International Women's Day, I want to just really take my hat off to every woman politician internationally and so forth. You know, big shout out uh, to the women in uh, Antarctica and Finland because they got some recent recognition as well as all of the other uh, matrilineal communities around the world because mm -hmm. I know that you have an amazing following. So mm. giving women the confidence, giving women the support that they need, um, giving women the comprehension of what it means to run is, are just some of the things that we do. We have a class at City University of New York at the School of Professional Studies location. And uh, what we basically do is we give the women the extra added confidence strategy uh, and, and expertise of women who have maybe a combination of maybe 70 years of experience. I personally come to the table with 30 years of experience. Mm -hmm. But, oh. you know, 2021 in New York is a very, very big election year because I the city see. council is going to turn over. So, I see, um, I see. So you're, you're taking these smart, capable women and you're really shaping them and instilling them with a whole new level of skills. Sure, because, you know, it's very interesting when we do the studies of the psyche of a male running for office and a female running for office, you know, for so long, our society has conditioned us that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, maybe we should get another degree, maybe we're not quite ready. And, you know, all of these things have latent effects on us, you know, and, and I'm sure you understand this, you know, being somebody who is very uh, involved in uh, mental health and mental issues. So, 
what you do is you try to change that mindset. Women have ambitions, women have hopes, women have dreams, and you let them know that, hey, you know what? You're just as good. You're even smarter. You're even better. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can do this. So you you're know, also what you're, you're also not only teaching them logistics strategies, it sounds like you're, you're cheering them on and almost mothering them in some way or parenting them and saying, this is, this is the road ahead and I'm going to help you get there. Well, truth be told, I actually have a wonderful instructor, a woman named Lisa Powell Graham, who is a graduate of the Kennedy School at Harvard and also Princeton. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal credentials she has. Um, she um, trains the women. She she uh, ran a presidential campaign office. You know, we're nonpartisan, so I'm not going to get the affiliation involved. But just know that she's gone from the highest level all the way through. She lives in Troy, New York, interestingly enough, and she comes in every Saturday to teach the class. And in fact, you know, um, the the class was just yesterday because that was the last day that we took in anybody else because it's a certificate course because we're very serious about giving women mm. these skills mm-hmm. and it's a comprehensive class. You know, it's funny because people who don't know better say to me, oh my goodness, what the heck are you doing for 36 hours? And, mm. and it kind of really blows me away because running for office is not something knowledge that you're born with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know that we have a whole bunch of things to talk about, but I mean, this is so near and dear to my heart yes. and we have some successful women and, you know, it's really gratifying when they get it, when they learn how to do the things they don't know, when we bring in the experts. I mean, we work very closely with the board of elections and campaign finance board who are our partners in this effort because it does take a village. And we know as women that if you don't have a support system, if you don't have go-to people, mm-hmm. you might as well forget it. Mm-hmm. Mm. You sound really proud as you talk about this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, through the National Women's Political Caucus, where I got my start when I had actually reestablished a chapter in New York in um, 2015, there's so much uncharted territory for women. And I really feel like the time is right, which is why I'm super psyched about being the organizer for the centennial celebration mm-hmm. in New York City this year. Is it, I, I'm wondering what it's like for you as a woman who has been doing the, you know, you've been in politics or on the edge of politics for a long time um, in New York City. And I'm just wondering, is it, what's the experience like of you organizing this centennial conference? What does it mean to you? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, the first thing I do is I really meditate on Mm. what is the point of this. I mean, there's so many different ways that a person can look at it. Uh, We could look at it as past, present, future. We could look at it as elevating our voice. We could look at it as a bookmarker, a a moment in time. How are we actually representing what this means? It's clearly a milestone for women. And I think one of the shocking things is how many women don't realize that it's recent history in getting the right to vote. It's unbelievable, really. It's only been 100 years. 
Exactly. <laughs> we have people walking around that are 100 years old. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is absolutely right. There's a lot of centenarians yes. walking around. Yeah, and you know, one of the things we are trying to do is, I mean, I'm working with an incredible team of people on this centennial. I mean, you mentioned Gail Brewer, you mentioned uh, Lieutenant Governor Hochul, uh, you mentioned uh, former state senator Ruth Hassel Thompson, but there's so, so many. I mean, my team, I have uh, the Big Machine Public Relations Group. I think you talked with Leslie. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's incredible. I have Frank Fernandez. Robin Adams, I have East Calizaire, I have Anthony Bozile, I have all of these amazing people, Henrietta Lyle, Geraldine Carter, and most of all, Norma Krieger, who is our chief marketing officer, who does all of our amazing visuals and graphics. I mean, such high energy coming to the table. And um, passion. Yeah, yeah they, yeah. it sounds like they, you know, they, they're connected emotionally. It's not just, you're not just uh, sort of selling something. It's, it's a, it's a thing that they are also invested in emotionally. Well, and the other thing too, is you have to think like Brad Taylor, who is part of the big machine. He's got an incredible social media team. Uh, what? 20, 50, 50 years ago, we didn't know anything about social media. That's and now that's right. a defining niche of how we run our lives. And, you know, the young people, I mean, we have to have them understand the legacy. We have to have them understand that they think that everything that they have, they've always had. Mm -hmm. So they have no idea mm -hmm. how long it took. I mean, the suffrage movement, I mean, it's well documented. It took 72 years for women to get the vote after kicking and screaming and fighting from the mm -hmm. 1848 convention at Seneca Falls, mm -hmm. um, right next to Rochester, New York, when, you know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Alice uh, Paul and, and, uh, and Miss Mott all came together mm -hmm. and they put that notice out. They had the women come, you know, in their community to say, hey, we're going to write a declaration of sentiments and you know fashioned after the declaration of independence which said all women and men are created equal in the eyes of god we have inalienable rights so on and so forth and we hold these truths self-evident these are not just empty words these words have so much meaning it's what our democracy is built upon and the thought that women were somehow second-class citizens and not able to access these provisions that are in the foundation of how our government is run is really daunting. Mm -hmm. It's quite amazing to imagine these women, you know, and, and, and where they got that confidence. It was such a radical thought back then. It's so interesting to imagine them living in this context where what they were doing was unheard of. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to sugarcoat this at all because it was a damn hard existence. I mean, so many of these women were jailed for what they believed. They had hunger strikes. I mean, the League of Women Voters came out of this movement. Um, many people know about the uh, various protests that were held outside of the White House. Uh, Woodrow Wilson at the time was the president. And, you know, he knew, he knew that it was time. You know, uh, Woodrow and the Congress, you know, when they passed this legislation, 
on June 4th, 1919, to say thenceforth, you know, women would have the right to vote. It's funny, the amendment, the 19th Amendment says that people will not be prohibited from voting, and I, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing it, but the important statement there is it's based on sex. It doesn't say that women are allowed to vote, but you won't be prohibited oh. from voting because of your sex. Now, <laughs> that's not a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's not exactly. Very clever. They're very, very clever. I mean, all of this legislation, our country is amazing because, you know, when you look at the civil rights legislation, you look mm -hmm. at things like the Voting Rights Act. Now, the 19th Amendment provided women the right to vote. However, women of color did not enjoy those benefits because, mm -hmm. as we know, through the Voting Rights Act, which is renewable, uh, I believe it's every 25 years it's renewable, so it's sort of like, well, let's see if we're going to give people of color the right to vote. Right. I don't understand the question. That's, I was going to ask you about that, Sharon. And, you know, you are obviously so invested and so passionate about women, but then there's this other side, which is, well, but what about women of color and where do they fit in? Well, yeah, because, you know, here's the thing, Nicole, because you can't, you know, we have to take care of all of the women. Mm -hmm. And now we're living in a time that is gender neutral. So we also have to acknowledge that because as we become a more advanced society, I'm not going to use the word progressive because it's way overused and the context sometimes is all wrong and crazy. So I'm going to say in an advanced society where we are, it's oftentimes what if I'm somebody who's transgender but identifies a woman. I mean, these things get kind of messy with these definitions. Mm -hmm. So let alone something as simple as a person of color uh, not being able, women of color were not able to vote until the 1960s. So it's, it's even less than 100 years. Yeah, yeah that, that's, I'm speechless. I was born in 61. <laughs> well, <laughs> in 1965, President Lyndon Baines Johnson is the one that did the Voting Rights Act, not law, act. Mm -hmm. So, and it's renewable. So, you know, when you start to dig into the history oh my of, of our country, and um, the thing is, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about, why I do, why I was so happy to be selected to do the Centennial Celebration is because the great American Her Story I mean, you don't hear that. You hear about American mm -hmm. history, but very few times, yes, there are pivotal women like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton that we all know, but unless people really look closely, uh, how many people know who um, Hester Jeffries was? Mm -hmm. She was a suffragist, but she got no credit for the movement. And, and you know what the other part of this is, and I know you're familiar with this, um, but then we have, if we take a step even further back, we have Native women. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. that I, I actually just learned about that when I interviewed um, one of the women in Without a Whisper talking about, you know, how come Native women are not getting credit for suffragists because they, they caught on to this long before you know, women, uh, European women got on board? Well, in fact, 
um, the Native American women, Native Americans are mostly a matrilineal society. Yes. So the women run things there. They run and things then, and they have all the responsibility of picking the, picking the people who are going to lead. That's right. And, you know, they have said several times to American women, you know, why do we tolerate nonsense and fooling? Why do we tolerate domestic violence? If, if people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, get rid of them. It's that simple uh, in the Native American uh, culture. So, uh, for example, let me give you a snapshot of how this works. The Native American culture was around a long time. One of our dear, dear friends, Dr. Ann Wilson Shape, who recently passed away, and you may know that name. She's a foremost feminist, and she spoke at our conference that we had in 2016 in Riverside Church. She had let people know that a thousand years ago, women, Native American women helped to, not only did they have an order and a structure, but they had it so good that our constitution and our declaration of independence are actually formatted against Native American values and culture. That's and right. Of course, That's right. No credit. That's right. And in fact, near Syracuse is the Onondaga Nation. And there have been beautiful documentaries about how they have been instrumental in starting this whole notion of democracy. Well, you see, uh, the Onondaga Nation is the capital of the Haudenosaunee Federation. And I call them Haudenosaunee because Americans call them the Iroquois Federation. But the French Jews who came to this country were the ones that coined the phrase Iroquois Federation. And the Iroquois people and the Haudenosaunee people, who are the what we know as the Iroquois Nation, they were pretty pissed off because they said, How dare you? We don't need you to name us. We already have a name. We have a name. <laughs> oh my goodness. You are a history buff. You know all of this backstory. I just know enough to get me in trouble. But yeah, that's really well, you see, that's fascinating. The, the, the backstory is where it's all fun because you say, wait a minute. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's something. So I was thinking that you were going to share a surprise tonight. Is that, is that true? I understand there's going to be some pretty incredible guests at the celebration. Is that something you would like to do or you'd like to keep a secret for now? Well, you know what I would love to do, and if you don't mind, because right now the program is very, very dynamic, mm -hmm. and we do have some incredible people coming, but I you know, I'm very superstitious. I like okay. to get the confirmation in writing. <laughs> I understand. So gonna, okay. Gotcha. Go. Oh, no teasers. I understood that there was something kind of uh, secret that you may or may not reveal, and we'll right. have to we'll have to wait for that. Well, that's okay. I'll come back when I have it in writing. <laughs> okay. We'll do an addendum. Exactly. Very good. Exactly. Very good. So, what is this this celebration going to be like it's in midtown it's at the hilton one of the i think it's the largest conference room in manhattan am i right about that it's the largest grand ballroom in manhattan it's and it's had seen some pretty famous people come through there absolutely it was built in 1963 and jfk actually christened it oh my uh, goodness with one of the his events and i mean 
everybody who's anybody has been there at the Grand Ballroom. And you know what? Since uh, the wonderful Borough President Gail Brewer uh, wrote to me in 2018 and invited uh, civically re-engaged women because we do these conferences, she invited us to please host it, the Centennial in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And it, it really falls in line very well with history because a lot of the women's rights movement the National Association of the Women's Suffrage Movement was founded in New York City around, I want to say 1917, don't quote me. Oh, okay. It was around that time. And I mean, I think that in tandem with it, also the League of Women Voters was founded around that time as well by Carrie Chapman Catt. But the thing that is amazing is that New York State as a whole, and we, we're really proud because we kind of gave birth to the whole suffrage movement. We are the ones that founded the organized movement of suffrage from dating back from Seneca Falls in 1848 all the way down to uh, the women from New York. It was Alice Paul that was holding those demonstrations outside of the White House. Mm -hmm. And you may know Alice Paul's name because in 1923, she was the one that imagined the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she was really a woman before her time. Wow. And, And, you know, she recently died in the 1970s. And I have to say, I mean, she lived long and well, but I mean, we came really close to passing ERA. Uh, back in the 70s under Nixon, when Nixon was president. Mm -hmm. And we just couldn't do it. And I mean, now we're sort of delighted because hopefully, and I keep my fingers crossed, the centennial celebration in New York is going to be July 23rd to the 25th. Mm -hmm. And and that's specifically framed around um, Bella Abzug, who you mentioned before, Congresswoman Abzug, who is the one responsible for changing the congressional record to reflect the August 26th, which is the date that the 19th Amendment was adopted to the United States Congress, she updated it to say, henceforth, we will know this as Women's Equality Day because this is the only provision in the United States Constitution that addresses women. Mm-hmm. Oh my and Bella, God. And Bella Absent was born on July 24th. Now, here's the other remarkable thing. July 24th, had she lived, would have been her centennial birthday. Oh so we my have goodness. a lot of things to celebrate. A lot of things coalescing. What are you most looking forward to? Is it a three-day celebration, Sharon? Yes. Okay. And, and the thing to know, we have four platforms, four sort of themes, sub-themes with it. Mm-hmm. The first one is the true meaning of sacrifice. Because like I said, when you do these things, uh, we want it to be intergenerational and we want it to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. So saying that, well, let's understand, women back in the day did a lot of sacrifice. So we want to talk about what does that mean to us today? True meaning of sacrifice. Uh The second platform is sisterhood. It's more than a phrase. I mean, one of the things that we're really excited about, and I'll kind of peep my card a little bit, but we have uh, people who are involved in a very famous lawsuit down here in New York City, a bunch of women. I I know who they are because I'm interviewing them next Saturday. 
How about that? Yes, ma'am. I can't so, wait. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I felt that they were a, a perfect illustration of sisterhood mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. here are women commonly bound together on a job mm-hmm. and they're just trying to do uh, their jobs. And, That's right. And, and all of these things that have come in the way of them being effective with what they do has really been nonsense. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you say to yourself, you know, it, it's interesting because why are women uh, subject to these things? You know, why can't we go grow old gracefully mm-hmm. on our job? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't we have a couple of pounds overweight? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody says anything to men about these things. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm just trivializing it to underscore the lunacy of of the point oh it's 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 absolutely ridiculous and if we're talking about the same people i mean these are these are educated experienced and awarded people this these are not people that you know don't know what they're doing they have been respected in their fields and it's appalling well, just to let you know, you will see them at our conference. I, they'll be talking I, about sisterhood. I'm very excited. So now we, they're there to teach. And now let me get to the third and the fourth. So the okay. third thing is about coalition building. Okay. Now, all of our famous women through history have done what they were able to do from building coalitions. And for some reason, we're not as good as that in this generation as we've been in the past. And and we need to we need to correct this because imagine if women actually got together and worked together on Mm -hmm. common interests. Mm -hmm. How far would we be? You know, it's not about you know how they say there's no I in team. Yes. It's all about the we. You know, we we don't need to spend all this time with the superficial nonsense. It's it's a form of oppression. It's a form of oppression and this is I I don't want to get too tangential, but my expertise and my psychotherapy practice is eating disorders. And this whole bit about you have to have a certain look, you have to have a certain weight, you have to have, you know, that is a form of oppression and it, it, it divides women and it makes us competitive with one another. It's unachievable. It's unhealthy. And it distracts us from doing important work. Absolutely. And the fourth and last platform is progress because, you know, we have to keep this up and we have to keep people hopeful. Mm -hmm. So progress is definitely, we're going to hear from young people. You know, we're going to hear, what are we missing? How can we all work together? What do the young people think? What do they want? Mm -hmm. You know, because what they think is like, oh God, it's a centennial. It's the old fogey (laughs) stogie. That's what my grandmother's into. I, you know, uh, I don't have any idea about this stuff. But we're interesting. really interested in knowing what they think. What do they want? How can mm-hmm. we support them? What's their vision? That's really interesting. Exactly. So you're going to be running between these four stages? Is that, is that your plan? Well, no. We have, <laughs> we have the four platforms. Of the so, floor. What we're doing, so what we're doing is we're having pretty much everybody will be speaking something along those lines. And it's cool because, you know, we'll have some fireside chat moments where there'll be people having these discussions about the various topics. But we, you know, like I said, when we were deciding to do this, there's so many ways you could go. And it's really hard to not even figure out 
you know, we don't have enough time. So a major thing that I realized that I didn't mention before is we have we, the program, the entire thing is anchored by our four co-chairs. So in addition to Gail Brewer being the chair of the event, we have the amazing legacy co-chairs embodied by Michelle Jones uh, Galvin, who is the great grandniece three times over of Harriet Tubman. Yes. Oh my goodness. And she's native to Syracuse where you are. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. And, uh, we have um, Kenneth Morris Jr., who is the three times great grandson of Frederick Douglass. Oh Amazing, God. incredible man. I mean, he does so much work on human trafficking mm -hmm. and so many other things that are relevant. We also have uh, Alice Kesey McCoy, who is the three time great granddaughter of John Brown, as in John mm. Brown at Harper's Ferry. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, wow. He was an incredible, credible historic figure. And lastly, and most importantly, we have Manuela Roosevelt, who is the wife of David Roosevelt, who is the grandson of FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, so my we, we always have to feature New York's first families. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that sounds wonderful. You know, there's so much going on, you know, now and actually, you know, even in the last 48 hours. And I'm wondering if you ever have to take some time to work on your own optimism. I mean, there's so much that you're doing and I know that you have so much passion, but we're also hitting some pretty big roadblocks. And I'm wondering how that affects you personally, you know, as a woman, as a human being. Well, I mean, I don't let any of that get to me because, I mean, I guess I'm a glass half full person mm -hmm. um, because there's so much exciting stuff. I mean, we're in the middle of a technologically advanced time. I mean, women have so many opportunities now. I think that if I was born earlier in time, I would be the most unhappy person <laughs> because I've learned to appreciate all the creature comforts we have now right. and, and the wonderful things. I mean, you know, the notion of a woman running for office is absurd. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if this was 1800 something, you That's know? That's right. That's right. So you feel like you're really in the right time where you can be part of this, part of history. And it sounds like that really feeds your soul. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm here as a helper, as uh, somebody that is part of the glue. You know, women are the glue, the backbone of society. Mm -hmm. And we really make things work. I mean, no disrespect to the men, of course, because we also champion male feminists, which, you know, there are a lot of, and there'll be a lot of them at the conference as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but the whole notion of women, and it's our time and it's our turn, we really can articulate that. The strides that women have made. I mean, look at people like Ida B. Wells. Look at people like Madam C.J. Walker. I'm just naming some women of color who may not be as well known. You know, they're mm -hmm. known by women, other women of color, but they're not known in a mainstream community. One of the things that we want to get right for the centennial celebration is the nameless and the faceless women who have been sacrificed and beaten and 
and had uh, hunger strikes and all the other things that are not the nicest things to talk about. We want to have a space where we recognize them. I mean, one of the people that we're going to be paying tribute to, in addition to Dr. Shafe, we're also going to pay tribute to Edie Windsor. And uh, Judith Kesser Windsor, uh, who was Edie's partner uh, and wife, uh, will be there to pay tribute to her. The LGBTQIA community really, really are unsung heroes and heroines in a lot of ways because here are people doing the good work, doing the due diligence, and you know they suffer from other issues of biases and mm -hmm. and and irrational uh, situations that are crime related because you know it's all about who they love. I mean. When people are all about progress, what you do in your bedroom is your mm -hmm. business, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's not an open book there for anybody to commentate mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. you know, so I feel very drawn and uh, at very much like, I want to say a mother protector, but very much like it's, it's the right thing to do. People need to have their dignity. They need to have their self-respect and they have every right to that. Mm-hmm. You know, who are you or I to judge anybody? That's, that's, right. that's right. That is right. Um, so people who want to learn more about this fantastic celebration need to know where to find you. Can you give me some internet kind of information here? Is it, is it crew.org where they will find information about the conference? Close, very close. Okay. However, we are www.crewomen, women, one W, dot org. And they and can go there and they can actually see some of these people that you've mentioned being interviewed. They can, it's a beautiful website where they can find out all about your work in um, training and coaching women how to run for for office. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't do these things alone. Like I said, I have an incredible team with Henrietta Lyle, Geraldine Carter, Norma Krieger, Anthony Bozile, Yves Calazare. I mean, Lisa Powell Graham, all of these folks, you know, it takes a village to make the ecosystem work. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to work with all of these talented people because we give meaning and we give life and we give knowledge, you know, um, Talking about the conference, I don't think I've done enough justice to just really take a moment to appreciate. The reason why I selected the Grand Ballroom of the Hilton Hotel. Now, the Hilton Hotel is located on the Avenue of the Americas. That's number one. Mm -hmm. This is all about inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted people to know. So putting it on the Avenue of the Americas was, it, it had a purpose to it. So the second thing was just the fact that we want this thing to be not all things to all people, but we want to have a lot of moving parts. So like, for example, we built this around the um, legacy folks of suffrage and their ancestors coming back. But we also want to do some modern stuff like um, have people from current movements. Uh, I don't want to name the names of the current movements, but just know <laughs> that we're going to have that representation so that the young people don't feel like, oh God, I don't know anything about 
<laughs> Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Who's Harriet Tubman? Why should I care? <laughs> right, I, mean, I know. Yeah, I saw the movie. Now they'll say, I saw the movie Harriet. What else do I do? <laughs> But I do know the name of Beyonce's children, but I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. You know, Blue Ivy is it. That's right. (laughs) What else do you you need to know? That's it. That's it. And, you know, we need to have the young people understand they didn't create the world. They didn't, you know, it's not chicken or egg, which came first, because they believe they're the alpha and omega of everything. I mean, I have an 11-year-old son, and you can't tell me that, you know, he doesn't, you can't tell him he doesn't know more than me. That's right. That's right. And I think it's remarkable with these kids. And not to be, again, the old fogey, but we have something to say. The conference mm-hmm. will speak to everybody. Oh. It's all about inclusion. We do have celebrities that are coming, but yeah. it's not about the celebrities. It's really yeah. about the message. Yeah. And I think yeah. that everybody that comes, I mean, and I expect to see you there, Nicole. Uh-huh. Everybody will be enriched. And I mean, I want us to figure out a way how you can uh, uh, broadcast live. Too, yeah, to I want to interview some of your folks. Yeah, it's such a thrill to even imagine this. But I'm just thinking of you. You were saying you were kind of mothering. And I'm thinking, this poor woman is basically <laughs> putting on like a, a wedding that never ends. <laughs> Well, that's why I mentioned my team because like yeah. I, said, I don't do it alone. Right. I mean, you better be, folks. you better yeah. be eating well and, and having, you know, good coffee available. It sounds like, it just <laughs> get, sounds, get your rest, but it sounds like it is a, it's, it's a conference of a lifetime. Absolutely. And like yeah. I said, I'm thrilled to pieces. As somebody who was a student of both American history and Western civilization, mm-hmm. you know, as somebody who placed out of all these placement exams in college, it really does my heart good mm. to be able to understand how these things are all connected. I mean, mm-hmm. we had one of the greatest happenings in American democracy the other day. And again, we are nonpartisan. But it, it, it was an incredible Hail Mary to see Joe Biden come back, mm-hmm. uh, really from ashes to ashes, mm-hmm. you know, to be right now a contender here now, amazing, mm-hmm. when everybody counted him out. Right. This is the je ne sais quoi that people don't understand. You know, Michael Bloomberg, you know, who, you know, he's nice enough and I have nothing against him, but it sends a bad message if people think they can buy I political see. power. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really work like that. I have you know, to be honest, though. I am really sad about Elizabeth Warren. Um, that's that's been a that's been really a, a hard thing to come to terms with for me. Yeah, I'm gonna step on the third rail here. Okay. <laughs> All right. I like. I was a huge Elizabeth Warren fan. Yeah. I think something happens to people when they run for office. I think she was so hell-bent on being as tough as the guys. I see. Some of her humanity got lost in in this struggle. And I think that, you know, the things that she was doing, the behavior was uh, inappropriate. Okay. You know, um, yes, there were important things that she got out, like, you know, Mayor Bloomberg and his non-disclosures. Yes. But after you make the point, you leave it alone, go on to next. She got I, stuck. It was I almost see. like she was rabid with some of these things. I see. And it There's, wasn't useful. 
so much psychology involved in this. I mean, I'd be fascinated to talk to you more in another episode about what makes a good candidate and how do you hold true to your values while you're also needing to be attractive and appealing to your constituency. I mean, I'm fascinated by, of course, the the psychological piece. How do you maybe disagree with people in a way that you can still be uh, maintain that connection well i mean the main thing is to be respectful yes i mean you can say anything you want as long as you have some proper boundaries and you comport mm-hmm. yourself with respect yes. i mean there's no reason uh, to use foul language and be disparaging right you know, you can say just about anything to people. I mean, the real psychology here, I mean, look at Joe Biden's game. Look at Joe Biden's playbook. He maintained who he was the entire time, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, that's, and I mean, look at Donald Trump. Donald mm-hmm. Trump never changed a moment. He is who he is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and love him or, or, or hate him, that's all that there is. He doesn't you know what you're getting. Through. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. pretend to be anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and and there are merits to that too, because, you know, it's not like, you know, Forrest Gump said life was like a box of chocolates. You know, (laughs) you don't have to take a bite of Donald Trump to know what you're getting (laughs) because it's right there. (laughs) And it doesn't taste too good. (laughs) Now, and he's going to bite you first. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness gracious. That is yeah, a, yeah. that I, I want to, oh, you know what, before we go, I definitely want to give a shout out yeah. to Nick Langworthy and the women of the Republican Party, you know, Elise Stefanik and whatnot, because I think they're trying to do some things to get more women involved, you know, which would be really nice because again, this is the decade of the women and women are, are, are more collegial, I think, in how we disagree. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that there's plenty of space for that, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I just want to open those lines of communication because, you know, uh, sort of in this latent Trump era, uh, things have just been so visceral, bipartisanly, mm-hmm. and it really is unnecessary because, you know, we all want the same things. That's true. That's absolutely right. Yeah, you know, I, I we want good that. schools for our kids. Yep. We, we want to feel safe. Nice, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. You yep. Know, education, values, all of that stuff. All so that stuff. Nobody wants anything different from the next guy. But if we work together, hey, maybe it could be a possibility. Right. Right. Well, Sharon, it has been an absolute pleasure and delight speaking with you. I feel like we could go on and talk about all aspects of, you know, women and men, how, how our brains are different, how we think different, um, and, you know, uh, what this conference really make, means. Mm-hmm. I want to make another point. I'm sorry I didn't yeah. need to cut you off, no, but I want ahead. to make the point that unlike ERA, suffrage is important. Suffrage is a backbone because through the suffrage movement, that was about families, that was about inclusion, that was about people working together with a common goal for people who wanted a better life for their girls and wives. So I think that it's important to say that we have to honor these traditions because, you know, I can't tell you how many people think I'm silly for highlighting suffrage when they don't think suffrage is important when ERA is more now. 
We're great oh. with ERA. ERA is fine and ERA is going to pass. But without suffrage, you could not have had ERA. I and see. That's my two cents. It's all building on that. Yeah, that that's makes right. that makes total sense. Well, it has been so much fun, and I am so happy to have been able to celebrate International Women's Day with you. I'm looking forward to collaborating with you and your your folks in the future. And uh, yeah. I just hope that you are getting plenty of rest and <laughs> and then delegating as, as much as possible. Well, I thank you. And I thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be on your show. Major shout out to all of the women. I'm giving you all virtual hugs and telling uh, you you're the bestest. Oh, lovely. Thanks. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. 